have. But if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 21. We're going to be in the ending part of Luke chapter 20, but our focus is going to be in Luke chapter 21 this morning. And the title of the message today is Noticing the Nameless. Noticing the Nameless. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been overlooked before? I was a younger brother of two older brothers, and I remember as the younger brother, I always wanted to play with my older brothers and their friends, and we all love sports in my family, and so we would always want to play wiffle ball in the yard or or play some kind of uh, tag, two-hand touch football. And I remember as a young, as the youngest kid of the group that was always around, I always wanted to fit in and I always wanted to, to be accepted. But you know how siblings are if you've had siblings, especially if you're a younger sibling. You know how those pesky older siblings are. They don't want anything to do with you. They think you're annoying. And so I remember growing up, I always wanted to fit in. I always wanted to be recognized. But it felt so often in my life that I was overlooked. I was overlooked by my brothers, and I remember uh, my family didn't have a lot of money whenever I was growing up, so I remember uh, come around school time, whenever school would start back in August and September, that's just kind of the time that families go and they, you know, buy new clothes for the kids, new school clothes and that kind of thing, and, and my older brothers would always get the new clothes, and I would get the hand-me-downs, <laughs> and I remember thinking, my, this isn't fair. My goodness, they've been wearing these clothes now for six years between the two of them. And, and I get it, like it's got little holes in the hems and, and it doesn't fit right anymore and it kind of smells like cheese. Like, you know, I don't, like this isn't fair. Like, what's up with that? I, I always felt overlooked as a child. But, you know, there's one thing that I've noticed that is, at least from my perspective, seems to be completely universal with children as well as adults, with men as well as women, no one likes to be looked over. No one likes to have done something and not be recognized or, or rewarded or, um, what's the word I'm looking for, thanked for it. And you may be an extrovert or you may be an introvert. Believe it or not, as a pastor, I'm an introvert. And people tell me all the time, man, you never answer your phone. I'm like, well, you never leave a message. If you did, I'd call you back. But, like, I'm an introvert. Like, I I don't know. I'm not as much of a people person. This is how I know that God called me into ministry and to be uh, a pastor because this is something that's not entirely comfortable for me. Um, But even if you're an introvert, one thing that you don't like is being looked over. You don't like being underappreciated. That's just, I don't know, it's just ingrained in human nature. And so what I've noticed is what we try to do is a lot of times we'll try to overcompensate. We want to do something because we're kind people and we love the Lord as Christians. And we want to do something nice, but sometimes we'll even overcompensate just so we can get those words that we want to hear. That, oh, good job, or wow, I can't believe you did that, or, or thank you so much. And I think a lot of times we, we take our uh, elements that we experience in our flesh and we translate those over into our relationship with Jesus. But can I tell you something this morning? I want to 
last week or the last time I, I spoke was an encouraging message. And I believe that that's what God is, is putting on my heart right now is to be encouraging because we all need some encouragement in this time. So I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus sees you. And he knows you. And he loves you. And you are not overlooked in his eyes. Come on, church. We don't have to overcompensate our love. We don't have to overcompensate our actions to gain the attention of Jesus. He sees you. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, whenever Jesus says that, this is what he means. Listen very closely. Listen very closely. This poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Wow. I love this little story. It's just a... It's four verses long. And then the disciples start talking about, oh, wow, look how beautiful the temple is. And, you know, it's like their attention was immediately diverted to, to other things, more beautiful, more seemingly worthy things. And, and right before this story happens, Jesus is teaching about the religious leaders and, and how they like to be puffed up and how they enjoy the praise of, of people. And then you've got this little bitty story right in between. And I can just imagine, you know, Jesus, he's sitting there, he's been talking, he's been preaching that the temple is a busy place. People are coming and going and, and chatting. Just think of it like uh, right after service on a Sunday, people are just walking and intermingling. And that, I don't know, that's in my mind. That's how I imagine this, this scene playing out. Jesus is just sitting there talking with his disciples and and he just happens to look up, and, and he sees the rich and the wealthy, and they're putting their, their money into the, the offering box there. And then he sees this poor widow, and she gives her two small coins, and Jesus notices it. Or let me put it this way. Jesus notices her. He notices her. That's, that's point number one today. By the way, if, you're, uh, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can pull that up. And uh, go to events and uh, let it search around for you, and it'll find you right here in this little area of East Texas. And there will be a button that pops up that says Calvary Tabernacle. And you can click on that, and we've got all the sermon notes and uh, all the scripture reference that we'll use today. And I want to encourage you to save that in your phone so you can go back later and, and do some even deeper study. But that's point number one for today. Jesus notices you. He notices you. Jesus saw this poor widow giving her money in the offering. And I imagine to the rest of the temple, she was over, overlooked. It doesn't say she had a following. It doesn't say that everyone thought, oh, my goodness, look at her. Wow, good job. Yeah. It, all it says is that Jesus noticed her. It doesn't even say Jesus spoke to her. It doesn't even say that he went up and congratulated her and gave her a hug and, and thanked her and invited her to dinner after church. It doesn't say any of that. It simply says that he looked up and he saw her. He noticed her. So I want to give you some encouragement today. 
don't get so caught up in, in chasing notoriety or, or chasing uh, the, the thanks and applause of people that you forget the one who truly notices you. Let me tell you, in America, we've got it down. We know how to draw in the, the praise and the applause of people. But a lot of times we'll let that get in the way of pulling in the praise and the applause that comes from the one who truly matters. Truly matters. See, here's the thing. Your job may seem insignificant. You may feel like, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a job that you thought was a dead-end job. It's not a good feeling. <laughs> it's not a good feeling knowing that, that what you're doing now is the only thing that you will be able to do in the future, even if you did want to move up. It's not a great feeling, but can I encourage you with this today? Where you're at, even if you feel like you may be at a dead-end job, there is someone who notices you. And what you are doing is not unimportant whenever you're doing it for the right person. Come on, church. There's someone that notices. Your boss may look over you. Your coworkers may look over you. But Jesus doesn't. He notices you. He notices you. See, it's not your position that captures the heart and the attention of Jesus. But it's your passion. I'm going to say that again. That is good. It's not your position that will gain the attention of heaven. It's your passion that will gain the attention of heaven. This woman came and she put in what she had. Pink. And heaven's attention was captured in that moment. Not because of the amount that she gave, but because of the passion that she gave. Not because of her, her place in life or her, her status in life, but because of the passion that she gave. She gave with her heart, and Jesus noticed her. Check this out, Luke chapter 20. It says uh, in verse 45, it says, Then the crowds listening, or then with the crowds listening, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes, and they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seat of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious or religious or God-fearing by making loud prayers in public. Because of this, ooh, listen, because of this, they will be severely punished. This is what, oh, I love this church. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not your position in life that touches his heart. It's your heart that touches his heart. You can be as religious as you want to be. You can do everything the right way. You can, I mean, you, you can have it all figured out in life. You can go to the right places and, and have the right network of friends. And, and you can have the, the, the most well-respected job and the most well-respected name in Cass County. But if you don't have a heart for Jesus, Jesus says, watch out for that person. Wow. Wow. You see, we spend so much time trying to gain the attention of people that we forget who our hearts should be geared towards. Mm. This is what Jesus is telling him. He's saying there's a lot of people that want to display a passion that they never possessed. 
Don't you know that we Americans especially are really good at displaying passion that we don't possess? <laughs> we, we look at the news and we pick sides. You know, I, I'm for this side or I'm for that side. And, and we are good at making everything political. I mean, we're talking about wearing a mask. Wearing a mask. And somehow we're like, oh, I don't know. Am I Democrat or am I Republican? What, what, what do I do? Do I wear a mask or do I not? We we're so polarizing in our culture right now that we, we tend to to want to take one side or the other and we listen, okay, what is this side saying? Because this is the side that I'm gonna agree with right here. Whatever they do, I'm gonna do it. And we get we we polarize ourselves and then we get so passionate about our polar end of the spectrum. And we start talking about it. We start living it. We start ridiculing people who don't believe like us or who do differently. Am I the only family that's ever experienced that before? <laughs> you know, it's like, I believe this. And if you don't, shame on you. If you don't, my goodness, what's wrong with you? Were you born in a barn? We start to ridicule and, and we act like we have this passion for something, but whenever it comes to acting on our vocalized passion, we kind of spare in some of the details there. <laughs> so I want to talk to our younger generations right now, our, our millennials and Gen Zers. I want you all to listen. Are the older generations, they have this part figured out. Because what I've noticed in, in my parents and in my grandparents' generation especially is there, there's an old saying, put your money where your mouth is. In other words, if you're going to say something, you better do something. And if you don't plan on doing it, just keep your mouth closed. And I love that about our older generations. They're honest in that. They've got a firm grip on that. They say, hey, listen, I'm not going to open my mouth if I'm not going to put my money or put my hands or put my feet to what I'm saying. And I believe we should adopt that same mentality in the spiritual places. I don't, I don't want to be political or make everything sound to be political. I'm trying to draw a spiritual point right now. We'll get passionate about spiritual things, but whenever it comes down to it, a lot of times we don't put our money where our mouth is. And we are like, I, I think that right now in our culture, our American culture, we have a, a Sadducee-type culture. We like to look fancy and dress the part, and, and social media is only going to get the good side of me, and I want you to respect me. And, and uh, what I said was, was really polarizing, but if you don't agree with me, then you can get over there. And, and you know, we, we try to make ourselves look real good, but whenever it comes to actually putting action to our words and a lot of times we fall short. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying all these wealthy people, they were giving out of their abundance to gain notoriety. But she gave out of her poverty. And I still noticed her. Come on, y'all, that's good. That's good. And I love this analogy because it goes so much deeper than, than we read at the surface level. Because this was a woman, and in Jewish culture in that time, women were not valued. They were not regarded as, in, in, in some 
extreme cases in Jewish culture, women were not even uh, regarded as being human. They were looked down upon. They, ha- they didn't have voting rights. They could not speak in a, uh, in a case in a court of law because the people of that day, in Jesus' day, people believed that women were inherently liars. Wow. Women were not even allowed to speak in public. They were not allowed to open their mouths and talk in public places, only in the home. And so whenever we see this story of this widow coming up, not only does she have that going against her, that she's a woman in that day and age, but she was also a widowed woman. And in that day, if you were a widowed woman, you were looked at and you had no family. You were looked at as, oh, man, something's wrong with her. She must be on God's bad side. She did something terrible. Don't get around her. And so everywhere she would go, she would be looked down upon, not only because she was a woman, but because she was a widow. Yet, there she is, standing in line, watching all of the the rich and powerful and wealthy cut in front of her and put their money in there and flaunt their riches and their wealth. And and she's waiting patiently in line for her turn. and, And she gets up there and she puts in the two coins that she has. And Jesus notices her. And he points her out to those around him. When she gave, Jesus noticed. Let me encourage you. What you have may not seem like much, but when you give it with your heart, it moves the heart of God. Don't ever consider your gifts as being less than whenever it came from God in the first place. See, here's the thing. You don't have to give as much as Bob and Joe. You just have to give as much as you can. That's the heart of God in that moment. That's the heart of God in that moment. You may feel like a nameless, faceless person today, but I I want you to hear me. Jesus notices you. On Thursday, this last Thursday before our prayer meeting, I was in my office, and I was doing some study and, and praying, And I felt this so strongly, and so I want to say it here this morning. I felt so strongly the Holy Spirit impress on my heart, saying that there's someone here today that is in an abusive relationship. And you have taken your self-worth from the one who is abusing you. And God thought it was so important that you should know today that he notices you. And he loves you. Whoever this individual may be, he loves you passionately. And you may be overlooked by the one person that's supposed to love you unconditionally in this life, but you are not overlooked by heaven. Come on, someone say amen. Come on. Don't sell yourself short. You are noticed and you are loved. And here's a wonderful truth. Jesus doesn't honor positions He honors sacrifice. He honors sacrifice. That brings us to point number two. Jesus notices your gift. Jesus notices your gift. You see, whenever we sacrifice, there's something about our sacrifice that just tugs on the heart of God. I want you to, I don't know if you've ever been to 
if you have, I'm, I'm kind of envious of you. I know we're not supposed to envy, but I love history. <laughs> and I love going to historical places, especially early American history. I love early American history. My wife and I went to Boston on our honeymoon. And uh, we've been to Philadelphia, and we nerded out on all things history. Uh, it's something that I really love. But one of the places I haven't made it to yet, and I would love to make it to, is Washington, D.C., um, and Arlington, Virginia, because in Arlington, Virginia, there's a, a special place called the Arlington Cemetery. And it's a place where a lot of America's bravest men and women have been laid to rest. Their bodies have been laid to rest. Those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. And there's one special place there called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Would you mind putting that picture up, please? The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And this is a burial place of a soldier who died during battle during World War I. And he was, his body was placed inside the Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia. And this tomb has been guarded 24-7 since 1937. 83 years, these guards from the United States Army called Sentinels, they guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. And it's very ceremonious and very respectful. And if you go to the, I've never been, but I hear if you go to this place, the, the, the silence is almost deafening whenever you get there because it's a place that, that's so honored and so revered and so respected. That's a place where you go to it. It started out with just one. You see there's three graves there. The one in the middle was the soldier that died during World War I. Uh, I cannot remember the left or right, which one was uh, from the Vietnam War and which one uh, was from World War II. Uh, but three soldiers are buried there, and, and there's a guard that stands guard there all around the clock. And I always feel a great deal of gratitude and respect whenever I, I remember this or whenever I see this on the news or, or wherever it happens to pop up because it is so well honored within our military communities. Even during the snow, the heavy snows that Washington, D.C. gets, through rain and through hail and through hurricanes, Hurricane Sandy came through and there was still a guard, a, a sentinel out there walking the, the black uh, walkway right there, walking the black walkway and, and guarding the tombs of the unknown soldier. Even during the hours of the terrorist attacks on 9-11, there was a soldier there standing guard. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year since 1938. It says, their website says that over 3 million people visit the tomb each year. It also talks a little bit about the soldiers who guard the tomb. They're required to memorize and perfect rigorous training before becoming a sentinel, including memorizing over 300 burial sites at Arlington National Cemetery, where they are located, and the names of who is buried at each site. They are required to memorize the history of the cemetery Pervatum, pervatum, thank you. I almost got it switched up. Verpatum. They're required to maintain a precise uniform, have a perfect military background, in addition to all their other training and duties as members of the United States Army. 
And the sentinels that guard the tomb consider it the highest honor that they could receive. To work and to volunteer their time. They're not getting paid. They volunteer their time. They spend hours and days, think about that, memorizing 300 different burial sites within the cemetery, where they are located in the cemetery, and whose name and the name to the, the body that is buried in that special place. It's incredible. It's incredible. And think, all of this is done in honor of a man whose name isn't even known. Isn't even known. In fact, inscribed on the back of the tomb are the words, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. I want to encourage you. In God's eyes, you're not noticed because of a position or because of your status in life. You're recognized because of your sacrifice, the sacrifices that you make. Here's point number two. Jesus notices your gift. It says that the, in the Bible that the woman gave two mites, two mites. I got to give you a little bit of a background on mites, uh, on mites. Uh, the Greek word that's used here to describe the coins that the woman gave is the word lepton, which literally means tiny thing. In Old English, we translated it to mite, and mite comes from the word for crumb. The woman gave two lepton, and the value of a lepton can be determined like this. A denarii in the Jewish culture in that day, a denarii is one day's wage. And it equals six me's, one me equals two pondians, one pondian equals two isserines, one isserine equals eight mites. And so whenever you figure it all out, one, or I'm sorry, two mites are worth about 1% of one day's wages. 1% of one day's wages. I, I took the liberty to look up the average hourly rate job in Texas and the average income for someone who works in the hourly job in Texas, the average income is $38,138 a year. So if that was the average income of her day, she would have given the equivalent of a dollar and 47 cents. A dollar and 47 cents. Yet I can just Imagine it in my mind as, as she goes up there and she places it in there. Jesus, he's talking with his disciples. He's, he's not looking, not paying attention. And this little poor widow woman comes up and and I can just imagine Jesus' ears perk up. Who did that? Out of all the hustle and bustle going on there and all the, the, the rich and wealthy, they're coming and they're just dumping their pockets out and, and making a competition out of who can give the most, who's the most wealthy. And here comes this little woman. She drops in two coins and Jesus' ears perk up and he says, I heard something a little bit different. I heard something a little bit different. I want you to notice this. Check this out. Um, in uh, Luke chapter 21, it says this, uh, in one of the scriptures we read, I believe it's verse 3 or 4, it says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Notice what Jesus says. She put in more than all of them. 
Jesus didn't say she put in more than the guy in front of her. No, no, no. He said she put in more than all of them combined. Now I want to ask you, do you think this was the biggest offering of that day with the rich that were coming and they were just dumping their money? No. Listen to me very closely. This could change your life right here. Are you ready? Jesus doesn't count pennies. God isn't up in the back room of heaven somewhere counting our pennies. He's counting your faith. Money is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. The Bible tells us that whenever Abraham, the the angel came and, and told Abraham, or God spoke to Abraham and said, you will have a child in your old age. My Bible tells me that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. He believed, that word right there is our same word for faith. Abraham had faith in God and God counted it up. And he exchanged that faith as righteousness. Now if you go to a foreign country and you want to buy something, uh, most foreign countries, I've learned, actually do accept American dollars. But there have been a couple of countries that I've been to that would not accept American dollars. So you would have to go to an exchange bank and give them some American dollars in exchange for that country's currency. It's an exchange. You're giving something, and you're getting something back that is close to the equivalent of what you gave. And this is what God is saying. He's saying you give faith, and it's counted as righteousness. He didn't say, you give money, and I will count you as worthy. No, no, no. He said, you give your faith, and I will count you as being righteous, in right standing with God. Wow. Woo. Church, that's good. That's good. I want you to notice this. Jesus notices your gift. And I'm not talking about a monetary gift. I'm talking about the gift of faith. This woman gave her two cents, her two mites. But Jesus didn't, he he understood what she gave, but he wasn't counting the mites. He was counting her faith. He was counting her faith. See, we tend to think that our gifts and what we are able to give is only valuable to the extent that man gives it value. But whenever we give something from our hearts, it is valued on a completely different scale, on a completely different scope, on a completely different set of measurements. Jesus won't count your pennies. He's going to count your faith. Do you know the reason why God requires us to give a tithe? And, you know, I, I said required. If, if you're not a tithe giver, I won't, I'll, let you, I'll go ahead and let you know right now. In the Bible, God commands us to give a tithe, which means 10%. It's, it's not a suggestion. It's something that God commands us to do. And, in fact, in Malachi chapter 3, God says if you don't do it, you're robbing God. And I think a lot of unbelievers or, or new believers have thought that, man, if I don't give the church some money, I'm going to be robbing God? Well, technically, yeah. (laughs) We'll just be honest about it. 
But the reason why God requires a tithe isn't because he needs your money. If he needed your money, he would have been noticing the rich and the wealthy that were giving their money. But he didn't take a moment to say, oh, look, wow, look at old Bartimaeus over there. He just gave $3,000. Good job, Barty. Way to go. He was, he was just in the temple. But whenever he stopped and noticed something is when someone gave faith. They gave faith. He doesn't need your money. So pastor's saying, why does he require a tithe? You want to know why? It's because of honor. Honor. See, as a Christian, we can honor God with parts of our lives, but we have a bad habit of, of not honoring him with other parts. And one of the hardest parts to honor God with is your money. <laughs> but see, whenever we hold on tightly to what we have, what you're saying to God is, God, I don't trust you with this. And whenever we say, God, I don't trust you with what I have, you're not honoring God. See, it's not even for God's benefit that we give. It's for your benefit. It's for my benefit that I give. And so God says, I'm requiring you to pay a tithe. Not because I need it, but because you need it. Because we need to learn how to honor, how to give. I love this. Check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly and don't give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Listen to this. I, I know a lot of times whenever I was younger too, I thought, man, why does God just want all of our money? Isn't God the God of abundant, limitless resources? Why does he need all our money? I've thought that before too. I want you to notice this. It says God loves a cheerful a cheerful, say it, say it with me, a cheerful, it doesn't say he loves the biggest gift. It doesn't say he loves the biggest amount. It says he loves the giver, the giver. Let me say this, everyone listen up. He don't need your money. He doesn't need it. But we need to give because when we give, we're saying, God, I honor you and I trust you with what you've placed in my care. And whenever we do that, the, the doors of heaven, I can just, I can just visualize, just swing open. She's like, here I am. You trust me. You want me. You love me. I'm right here. Come on. I love it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He loves a person who gives generously. Wow. So it's not about the man-made value that's placed on your gift. It's about your faith when you give. Because faith is the currency of heaven. Don't ever forget that. Faith is the currency of heaven. Write this down if you're taking notes. In the kingdom of God, the value of a gift is determined by what it costs the giver. In the kingdom of God, the value of a gift is determined by what it costs the giver. 
So many of us, we feel like we're being overlooked by people. And if you're anything like me, then there's been times in your life where you feel like you've been overlooked by God. And it's not a good feeling. That's why I want to encourage you today. God notices you. And he sees you. And the best thing that we can do is honor him with our gifts, with our giving. I'm not just talking about money right now. I'm talking about spiritual gifts too. I'm talking about giving with your faith, with your heart. Whenever we give those gifts, heaven takes special attention. Heaven notices. Because the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the value of a gift is determined by what it costs the giver. By what it costs the giver. So whenever I read my Bible and I see that, this is in the math in my head, this is what it's saying. Whenever I give with my heart, whether it's a, a resource or a talent, a skill, a mindset, an attitude, any of those things, whenever I give it with my heart and honor the Lord, God takes notice. And he loves that gift. So what does that mean for us? I'm a real practical guy. I don't like to look at teaching and be like, eh, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to apply that to my life. So I want to encourage you with this. If you're like, man, how do I apply what we're learning here to my life? This is what I want to encourage you with. Give until it hurts. Give until it hurts. You know, the, the Bible, in the Bible, God requires us to give a tenth. And I think a lot of Christians have gotten real comfortable with giving their tithe. And God is saying, hey, man, I got so much more for you. But are you going to honor me with what you've got now? Because God's not going to give you more if you don't honor him with what you already have. He gives the illustration of, of three servants. One of the servants went and hid the master's money so that it wouldn't be stolen. One of them went and, and invested it and got a small return. And one of them went and invested and got a large return. And the master comes back and, and he says, good job to the one that got the large return. Good job to the one that got the small return. But to the one that hid the money, he said, get away from me, you wicked and evil servant. Listen, God's not going to give you something. He doesn't reward if you don't sacrifice. And as his children of God, we've got to come to that conclusion in our mind, God Help me to know how to give. And remember, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your faith. How do I give my faith? God, I've been given and I've gotten comfortable with it. Help me to expand and stretch my faith so that I can give more and in more areas of my life. So what does that mean for you? This is what I want to encourage you to do this week. Find somebody to give something to. Look around your house and say, man, I really enjoy this. This is, this is a, a fun thing here, but I think it would make a great gift to give to so-and-so. You, you want to know one of the best gifts that I remember in my mind? Out of all the birthdays and Christmases and, and all of these things, one of the greatest gifts that I remember getting was from my friend Rodney Gibson. And I was a teenager. We were teenagers, and we were in service one Wednesday night down there in uh, Brother Billy's, uh, Brother Ken's Sunday school room down there. And uh, we were about to start service. That's where we had our youth services at the time. It was before the Life Center was built. And I remember it was right before service started, and Rodney Gibson comes in, 
and he's got this really nice-looking, brand-new jacket on. And at the time, we were about the same size. I think he stayed about the same size, but I gained my freshman 15 and, and wedding 15 and quarantine 15 and, and all these things, too. I don't think he's gained a pound. Uh, but at the, sa- at the time, we were about the same size, almost the same build. And, and uh, I remember he came in, and we said hi. We greeted each other. And I was like, man, that's a really nice jacket. He didn't even hesitate. It didn't take half of 1% of one second for him to take that jacket off and say, I want you to have it. And I remember thinking in that moment, I'm like, I mean, I wasn't asking for your jacket. I was just, I was just trying to compliment you. Like, you look good. The jacket's nice. But he's like, no, 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 I want you to have it. If you like it, I want you to have it. And I still remember that to this day as one of the greatest gifts, not necessarily because of how nice the jacket was, but because of the heart of the giver. He didn't even, I I can remember, it's like, I didn't even have the words, that's a nice jacket. I want you to have it. I'm like, dude, I didn't even get done saying what I was going to (laughs) say. It's because of the heart of the giver. God rewards the heart of a giver. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. I'm going to close with this. It says, but the king replied to Aruna. This is David speaking. He says, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. God had been good to David, and David wanted to honor God. And so he wanted to give this sacrifice and but he didn't have what he needed to, to give the sacrifice. So he goes to a man and he says, hey, I want to buy this from you so I can sacrifice it to God. And the man said, no, 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 I won't allow you to do that. You're my king. I honor you. I want to give it to you so that you can use it to be sacrificed to your God. And David argued. He said, no, I'm not going to give to God what was given to me. I'm going to give to a point that it hurts. I've got to feel it. If I give something that was given freely to me, I don't feel like it was a big enough gift because my God is worthy of it. And so he gave, whenever the woman gave, how much did she give? What percentage? A hundred. Whenever we read about tithes in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, God asks us to give more. And I'm not just talking about money. The woman gave 100% of what she had. She said, God, I trust that you can do more with this than I ever could. (laughs) Bing, bing. See, whenever we give with our hearts, that's what we're saying is, God, I trust you more than I trust myself with what you've given me. And whenever we do that, I can just see that the heart of God just... Oh, man, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of her. Come on. God is good, and he's worthy of it. So this week, find something to give. I'm not saying, I don't have any money to give. Find a a pair of shoes that someone might need. I remember one day, back after I first started working here at Calvary, I used to help uh, Miss Rhonda Elliott with the counting money uh, from the offerings. And so one Monday I came in 
to the church and went into her office to count up the money. And she said, you've got to look at this. You've got to see this. And there's a little envelope there and some poorly handwritten letters on it. And I opened it up, and inside was a couple pennies or a nickel, a little Eisenhower dollar, and some Chuck E. Cheese coupons or tokens, Chuck E. Cheese tokens. And I said, what is this? This was like the Sunday after vacation Bible school one year. And she said, and I'm not going to say his name, but she said, this, this little boy left in the offering on Sunday. And inside of the envelope, there's a little note. And I don't remember the words verbatim what it said, but it said something to the effect of, I wanted God to have this. And I remember whenever she gave it, you'd have to know uh, Miss Rhonda's heart. She, she's got a, a, a very caring, loving, and, and uh, soft heart, especially for children. She's one of our Sunday school teachers, but she was just smiling ear to ear. And I remember in that moment whenever she shows me to this, I just felt the Holy Spirit inside of me say that was the biggest offering of the week. And I remember thinking, you know, I wonder what this boy was thinking about whenever he gave those pennies and that nickel and the Eisenhower. He probably got the Eisenhower dollar from a grandparent. I don't know what it is about grandpas especially, but they like to give those Eisenhower, those Kennedy half dollars, you know. The, Here you go, Sonny boy. <laughs> He probably got that from a grandpa. He probably found the other coins underneath the couch or lying around the house or in a parking lot somewhere. And I, I have an idea of where he got the Chuck E. Cheese tokens. But I can just imagine in his heart, he could have had two responses. He could have, as he looked at what he had, he could have said, man, there's so many other people that are giving so much more. There's so many other, all these adults at church, this would be nothing to them. He could have had that mentality but I believe the mentality he had was this, God, I don't know how you can use these Chuck E. Cheese tokens, but if you can use them, here they are. And I think that's the mentality and the heart that we should have whenever it comes to giving to God. Listen, he notices the giver. He notices the giver. And what you have might not seem like much, but what our heart should say is, God, this doesn't look like a whole lot, but maybe you can use it. Maybe you can use it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for this opportunity to, to spend in your word. And, Lord, I pray that this word would sink down so deeply inside of our hearts, God, that we would be the most giving people that our community has ever seen. God, not out of reluctancy and not out of, uh, of pressure would we give, God, but I pray that we would give out of our hearts, God, that we would give with faith, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that you would encourage every person in this place today that they are noticed and that they are loved by you. And I pray that as a response, our hearts would say, Jesus, take what I have. It's yours. We love you so much, God. In Jesus' name, amen.